Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our podcast, In Conversation, where I chat to health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out what they do and how their story can help you through modern motherhood. If you're loving what you're listening to, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. A little love goes a long way. Hi guys, welcome to another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've been well and I hope you've been loving the content of season three so far. I'm so excited to be sat down this week with Holly Grant, who is the Pilates PT. She is the guru of all things Pilates. And three years ago, when she had her baby Freya, she founded The Bump Plan, which is a brilliant pre and postnatal fitness platform that really, really helps to help women feel empowered before and after giving birth. Um, And I've been on the platform and I've checked it out and it's full of such brilliant content and classes and education really about what is safe and what is not safe to be doing pre and post baby. So the episode has a lot of practical take-home advice both for pregnant and postpartum women. Holly helps to bust some of the exercise and pregnancy myths which I absolutely love and we also look at the dangers and unrealistic expectations of the snapback body. We filmed this episode during April, which is Caesarean Awareness Month, and both Holly and myself ended up having unplanned C-sections. And I asked Holly to talk us through her birth story, which some women may find triggering or some women may not want to listen to at all, which is absolutely fine. So before Holly goes into it, she does mention that you can either mute from this point or you can skip forward. Given that both of us were relatively unprepared for the invasiveness, potential trauma and recovery after a C-section birth, I think it's really important that we do address it and we do talk about it in order to empower women with the knowledge of what can happen during a caesarean birth so that they are as prepared and informed as possible. Because that's what, you know, I feel really, really strongly about um, with Pasha Mama and in all things we do, uh, the right choice is an informed one. So the more information we can gather, the better. Thank you so much to Holly for sharing her wisdom with us. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I had recording it. Holly, hi, how are you? I'm I'd love to say I'm good um but I'll be honest I'm actually really really um tired and frazzled it's my daughter's third birthday tomorrow and uh, I had a really busy day yesterday then I had we had a webinar last night for the bump plan 7 to 8 30 and then when I got in the house I had to make a massive Mike Wazowski birthday cake anyone who's watched Monsters University will know who Mike is uh, so I didn't get to bed until about half one and then I've got a really busy day today so uh, parents will definitely be able to relate um, and I'd love to just say oh, I'm really good thank you but no I'm, I'm actually really tired and I think it's good that we admit that the job is so- real. I, I completely agree I'm so glad that you said that because also I find that when I when I ask how people are doing, and I don't know if this has now shifted since the pandemic, but I genuinely want to know how people are doing. Mm-hmm. And 
if it makes you feel any better, I'm also completely fucking knackered myself. I have a five, <laughs> month, five and a half, yeah, yeah. Five and a half month old that has gone through a radical sleep progression change, whatever you want to call it. And we were kind of talking about this before I hit record button, but I thought I was sleep deprived before, but this is like on another level. Yeah. So it's- we are, we are staring down the same barrel at the moment, I think. <laughs> We'll get through this. We'll, we'll manage to record a podcast though, because that's what you do. You crack on and you just have to, you just have to cope. Yeah, it's true. And I think it's quite interesting how like we can, particularly as mothers and women, just like dig deep and just continue, like literally just, what's that phrase? Like something and carry on. Like you just do, you just carry on because you don't really have a choice. And that's sort of like, determination and grit and focus I think is something that I really admire in in mothers do you find that you've had that more now since you've become a mother or have you always had that kind of personality um so I've always been hardworking. um and what I would say is that um I, you know I it's very easy to just keep pushing and to want to still work as hard or as uh, well as you did before you had a baby. And because I had my own business and when Freya was born, we didn't have a huge amount, a huge team. We didn't have, you know, much support um, from employees basically. And uh, so I didn't really get a mat leave. And I remember kind of lying on the sofa, breastfeeding, very small Freya, you know, laptop on my knee, on the phone talking to a client and just thinking, I can do this, but I'm actually really not enjoying it. And it, it did, I did get to a point where I definitely burned out. So I do often think we definitely can do it and we can definitely dig deep and keep going. But I do think eventually we hit a wall. And I remember Stuart's grandma saying to me, um, bless her, she led a very kind of traditional um, life. She, she didn't work and her husband was very senior in, in the RAF. So he, she kind of followed him around the world. And she said to me, you know, you women have really set yourself up for failure because she's like, not only do you now have to be a mum, but you've also got your own business. And she was like, I didn't have to worry about that. I just had to look after the kids. So she was like, you know, be careful what you wish for. And I understand what she means. I do get a huge amount of satisfaction out of work, but I do think that we've got to be really careful that we don't just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I can do it, I can do it, because eventually we do hit a wall and I definitely did get to that point. Yeah, that's really, really, that's actually really, really important, I think, and a really valid point. I think that I've certainly also realised, I think when you work for yourself, it's it's a really different ball game because we're in this sort of, sort of unique time in our lives when we want to look after our little ones some you know in some cases look after our elders but also create this sort of meaningful career and it's about how to balance all three of those with whilst also trying to find time to look after yourself so it's it's um which without children is already quite difficult so you know it's um yeah I think you're completely right and I think that we need to as you say, take time to almost take stock and actually be like, okay, is this healthy for me? Is this is this something that is sustainable in the long term? So, um, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's hard it's hard to do when you're in it, isn't it? 
Yeah, I basically feel like that, like a walking version of that meme where it's a picture of somebody looking very frazzled and it says like me trying to drink enough water, contact my family, you know, eat healthily, do exercise, have a job. I feel like sometimes we can end up feeling like a walking version of that. Um, and I think just understanding that you you can't do everything um, and, and just kind of being okay with that, you know, sometimes um, you will make mistakes and sometimes you'll have to cancel things. Um, you can't do it all, but also you're not expected to do it all. I think only we yeah. expect that from ourselves. Yeah, it's true. I have used Phoenix to get out a lot of things that I actually do really didn't want to go to. I was like, <laughs> if I had, I've had children to also like use them as an excuse to get out of stuff, right? I mean, totally fine. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, they have their uses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk about your business, The Bump Plan. I mean, it's, I mean, I've been following you for years before you became a mom as a Pilates PT, like a huge, huge fan of your, of your work. And we're going to we talk about The Bump Plan. We're going to the specifics of, of what it is and, and how you're supporting women and mothers um, in particular. But before we do, um, I read, uh, I think it was like a headline of an article that um, you've done an interview for where you said we we need to normalize exercise during pregnancy and not just yoga which I completely completely agree with as a former fitness instructor myself I used to teach spinning for a while um, and somebody who regularly weight trains at the gym exercise is like almost part of my DNA at the moment and I and I and when I when I got pregnant it was quite eye-opening to see even the kind of midwives and doctors that I would see throughout my pregnancy say, oh, should you be spinning or should you be doing this or should you be doing that? And also generally, generationally from my mum, you know, she always questioned like, are you being safe? Blah, blah. Why do you think we don't normalise, we haven't normalised exercise during pregnancy and how can we sort of change that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's important to start by uh, realising that actually around 75% of pregnant women do not currently meet the guidelines for physical activity. So, you know, me and you are in the fitness industry and we see this kind of generation of women who are really into fitness now. You know, they want to be in the gym, they want to be using the squat rack. Exercise is a huge part of their identity. And we can easily think that that means that we're really making progress and everyone now exercises. But when you look at that statistic, 75% is a huge amount of women who are not meeting the current guidelines. The current guidelines at, um, around pregnancy actually only really came into play in 2017. So before then, there wasn't a huge amount of clear information with regards to what type of exercise you can do during pregnancy and how much you should be doing. And if we think 2017 is actually still very, very recent, and those guidelines were also revised in 2019. So we're still very early on in advising pregnant women to move their bodies. The current guidelines are that pregnant women should aim for around 150 minutes or at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity a week. And within that, there should be two kind of strength based sessions. Now, if you think about it, that's actually pretty much in line with non-pregnant people. Um, the only difference being is that the guidelines with non-pregnant people are, as it also includes, ideally, there'd be some, you know, vigorous activity in there. Whereas with the pregnant women, we're saying let's keep it at a moderate intensity. Um, so the guidelines are actually really, really pretty straightforward. And as long as you are a healthy woman with an uncomplicated pregnancy, 
they're the guidelines. And basically what we want is that people do pretty much what they did before they got pregnant with just a few small obvious tweaks, you know, don't bump the bump. Um, so non-contact sports, uh, ideally, you know, not playing rugby or horse racing, um, you know, not getting too hot, staying hydrated. So actually it's not rocket science, but I think there's plenty of reasons why women are not meeting that physical activity um, guideline. And I won't list them all, but one of the big ones we hear from women is fear of miscarriage predominantly. You know, for lots of us, it can take a long time to get pregnant and we don't want to do anything that risks losing that baby completely understandable but actually when you look at the research there is no evidence to link miscarriage with exercise um, and so that's a really incorrect myth but it's also a really dominant myth um, and so you know lots of people will avoid exercise because of that they don't want to have miscarriage um, lots of people just aren't sure what the guidelines are you know that they're, they're they're not out there as much as they should be and also online as soon as you get pregnant, there's lots of uh, misinformation, there's lots of anecdotal advice, when really what we should all be doing is sticking to the chief medical officer's guidance. So often people just don't know what the guidelines are. Um, accessibility, you know, if you are a second, third, fourth time mum, we all know how difficult it is to do anything when you've got children, let alone carve out 150 minutes of activity. And I think what's really important to remind people is we're saying physical activity, we're not saying exercise. Physical activity is moving your body. And as long as it elevates your heart rate um, to that moderate intensity, that's physical activity. So it can be walking the dog, cleaning the house, sex, whatever you wanna do, it all adds up and every minute matters. So sometimes it, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're going to like a, a mum and baby class or you're going to a prenatal fitness class. And that's why I think it's really important that we make sure that online there's a really strong offering so that people can work out from home. Something we found was really lacking was kind of inclusivity and representation. So when we created the bump plan, we looked for imagery to use on our website. And actually, when you look at the, when you type in, um, you know, pregnant woman exercising, first of all, everybody's white and slim. They're all sat there smiling, holding their bumps, breathing. You know, that's not really the majority of physical activity. And so it doesn't really inspire and it's not particularly diverse. So what we ended up doing was commissioning our own photo shoots um, where we took a diverse group of women, all different sizes, ethnicities, stages of pregnancy, and actually showed them properly working out, you know, sweating, looking like they're actually struggling a little bit. Um, so I just think that the imagery that we see, you know, if we're not represented in, in the media, you know, we're not going to see active women, we're not going to copy that ourselves. Um, and like you mentioned, other people's opinions, you know, our parents' generation and older really would have kind of told you to rest during pregnancy. But actually, we know that staying active during pregnancy has so many benefits, um, physically and mentally. And so we might find that our parents' generation still make comments like, are you sure that you should be doing that? Shouldn't you be resting? But actually, from a health point of view, you know, sitting down all day is uh, not what we want to be advising. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're kind of the things. And, you know, the prenatal fitness market has changed massively since we launched Bump Plan, which is a really positive, positive thing. And the knowledge and research that's out there since we launched Bump Plan has also grown massively. So we are we are getting there. But I think we just need to really make sure that we're clear that um, 
moving your body during pregnancy does not just have to be sat there breathing it can still be empowering it can still be fun and challenging it can still be it can still look a lot like what you did before you got pregnant um and it is overall very very safe as long as you're having a healthy pregnancy so it's a really long way of saying <laughs> why we're in the situation that we're in well I mean you've said so much there I and mean, there's so much I'm sort of agreeing with I mean I'm like nodding my head vigorously um particularly that bit around I found it so interesting that you said about the kind of diversity and inclusion aspect of it I completely agree every time I want to post something on fashion on the social I'd go to stock imagery and it was just white women in in leggings sitting there holding their bump it was it's really difficult to find so I, I think that's amazing what you're doing in terms of commissioning your own photo shoot like that to make it more more real and inclusive with the guidelines you know do you find guidelines like this helpful because you know yes it's important to have them but I also find that a lot of advice during pregnancy was around kind of averages and you know heart rate shouldn't go up to this much and this much but because I was incredibly fit before I got pregnant, those sorts of rules didn't really apply to me. And I didn't really know where to go or who to ask because my GP unfortunately just doesn't know me or isn't, I don't think, specialised enough to know that, you know, those rules didn't necessarily apply to me and I could push myself a little bit higher than the guidelines may have been suggesting. And I would never do anything that I sort of almost had to just like trust my own instincts, I thought, when I was when I was exercising prenatally. Anything that I didn't feel comfortable doing, I wouldn't do. And I definitely kept a an eye on my, you know, on my Apple Watch to keep, keep an eye on my heart rate when I was working out. But I actually didn't know exactly like what the benchmark was that was safe for me because the guidelines seemed so low to me based on my previous activity. Do you think? Yes, guidelines are helpful, but what do you how do you kind of tackle the more like individual? side of things when when we don't all conform to one way of working out basically yeah it's, it's a really really good point um so when we talk about moderate intensity which is actually what those guidelines are about we don't use heart rate anymore just because when you're pregnant your heart rate naturally increases because you've got more fluid in your body and you're also you know providing for another human being so heart rate becomes not a a massively accurate way of measure, uh, measuring how hard you're working. So what we say with moderate intensity is actually, if we maybe think of a scale of one to 10, with one, you sat on the sofa watching Bake Off, and 10 is you kind of at the end of a marathon before you got pregnant, you wanna pitch your effort levels around a six or a seven, and that is going to look drastically different for everyone. So if you're brand new to exercise, you know, you weren't particularly fit before you got pregnant, um, something very low level might get you to six or seven. Whereas if you're like me and you, uh, where we work in a fitness industry, we're used to pushing ourselves very hard, it's gonna take a lot more to get us to that six or seven, but the key is that six or seven. Um, and so it's really difficult. You can't compare yourself to anyone else. You have to really turn in and work out how hard am I working? And I find that we find that very difficult when clients first come to the studio, pregnant or not, um, I'll often say to them when they're doing a certain exercise, particularly cardio-based, how, how, how difficult is this? On a scale of one to 10, how hard are you working? And it's amazing how difficult they find that question at, at the beginning because we're so disconnected, our heads to our bodies. We're so used to looking at our, our watches, you know, fair enough, so helpful to have that heart rate monitor on. You know, or we're used to our phones telling us how well we slept or, you know, what time we need to wake up to feel amazing. You know, we're so 
disconnected and we find it really difficult actually to just use our heads to find out how hard we're working so I think that actually it's and then over time clients get much better at that and then eventually they're like I'm at a six I'm at an eight oh my gosh I'm at a nine and it's so lovely to watch and I think during pregnancy it's even more important I find pregnant women are actually much better at that because we're so used to listening to like kicks and how we're feeling and often we feel a bit grim um, so it's that moderate intensity. So you're right. For someone like you, you probably, if we looked at you working at six or seven, we might think, God, crikey, that looks like that's probably too much for during pregnancy. But as long as you feel that you can still talk, so you can use a talk test, you know, as long as you can have a conversation with me while you're doing it and you're not pushing that eight, nine, ten, then you'd be fine. And I just want to quickly say that the reason for this is that um, most of the research into Exercising during pregnancy has been around moderate intensity activity because there is, there is a slight ethical situation with most with a lot of pregnancy research because we can't necessarily if we if we're slightly if we're not sure what effect high intensity activity has on someone's baby or their the, the pregnant mother and we take loads of pregnant women and make them do high intensity training and then we find it actually it's really bad for them ethically that's very very tricky so what uh, most of the research has been relatively safe and it's around that moderate intensity so we know that that is safe but there are high level athletes that continue to train at a very high intensity but they are monitored very highly by professionals you know Paula Radcliffe was still running marathons pregnant but they are very unique individuals and so that's why as a general population um, with no kind of trainer monitoring us constantly um, moderate intensity is the safest option that does make sense and I think it's also maybe important to note that the scale of intensity will change will could change as you develop in your pregnancy things mm. will get harder you will get heavier and things like that so it's about being aware of how you're feeling and I think that's really interesting what you said about not we've left so much to technology to tell us about how we're feeling that I completely can see how including within myself there is a disconnect and sometimes it just takes a little bit more time to really think okay how am I actually feeling here rather than turning to my watch or my phone or something so I find that really really interesting um you've spoken about your clients and the work why don't you tell me a little bit about the bump plan and, and kind of why you started it and what, what you guys offer because you know I think it's absolutely amazing and super super important but it would be great to hear kind of from you exactly what it is yeah so um just over 11 years ago I qualified as a um, Pilates instructor and I was working in Pilates studios teaching mainly reformer uh in London and then was head trainer and then tried to buy out one of the studios and at the last minute that fell through and I really knew that I wanted my own studio um where I would really love going to work I'd struggled slightly with my mental health in a previous career I'd had I was a pastry chef um so I knew that for me, uh, money was not necessarily important, but job satisfaction was like the most important thing for my mental health and just me in general. Um, so eventually I knew I wanted my own studio and I wanted it to be a really safe space for people to come and train. And I'd kind of grown up surrounded by a lot of um, 
disordered eating. I wouldn't say eating disorders necessarily, but lots of disordered eating and um, seeing lots of uh, women abusing exercise and, and food um, for aesthetic reasons. Um, whereas my background was very different um, with a dad that was in the parachute regiment. It was all about being strong and, and fit. Um, so I wanted to create a space where women were able to come and exercise for the right reasons and um, ditch diet culture, essentially. So I eventually opened up my own studio in Parsons Green and that is still open now so that's been open for about eight years um, and in that time I mainly worked with women and they were either um, prenatal, postnatal, menopausal or um, you know had chosen not to have children. And I found it really fascinating seeing the different goals and the different challenges um, that those women faced as they went through those uh, periods of their life really. So then lockdown happened um, and uh, well no before lockdown I got pregnant and I'd trained pregnant women for years but all of a sudden it felt very different being pregnant and exercising and when I looked around I realized that actually there was not much support out there for pregnant women who did want to continue feeling strong and powerful and I realized that that was just a a, a massive gap in the market, but B, just limiting so many women. Um, so during my pregnancy, I went to a location house and I filmed workouts every six weeks. Um, so I got bigger uh, throughout the workouts. And then I kind of sat on that footage and then I had, you know, pretty pretty traumatic birth basically with Freya and uh, you know and then had that trying to juggle work and having a baby and things then lockdown happened um, and we took our classes online because Boris closed studios and at that point we had two studios and we took um, the bump plan method which is uh, functional movement and low impact cardio online and obviously pregnant women during lockdown, especially at the beginning, were so nervous because they were told to shield. We don't know what it will do to your baby. We don't know if it will end your pregnancy. It was a really scary time for people who were pregnant during lockdown. And so those classes were actually really, really busy. And a lot of the feedback that we got was that um, they just loved how powerful they felt. They loved the sense of community. And it was they just really needed this. They'd never seen anything like it. So that gave us the push to then actually turn the bump plan into what it is now. So it launched December 2019. And when you sign up, you input how many weeks pregnant you are. And the system recognizes that and assigns you workouts where I'm always at the same stage of my pregnancy as you are. And so we get more pregnant together. And I guess it gives members this feeling that I would never give them anything that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing myself. Um, and so, you know, they, they can potentially push themselves that little bit harder than they might do at home. Um, or on the other end of the spectrum, maybe they were going a bit too crazy in their own time doing exercise and they get feel for actually kind of what's safe. Um, so, yeah, so in the in the last 14 years, we've had over 20,000 women sign up at, at any kind of one point. And uh, it's been amazing. And then in January, we launched our postnatal version. Um, and that is, again, kind of first of its kind, filling a gap where you can actually sign up the day after you give birth. And it's been signed off by physios and it meets all the current guidelines um, and supports you in hopefully getting you back to what you did before you got pregnant. So we want it to be that it gets you back to marathon running, to CrossFit, to weight training, whatever you love. It will get you back there, whether you're dealing with a prolapse, diastasis or just kind of general weakness um it will get you there so yeah that in essence that's the bump plans a huge sense of community we have lots of webinars lots of experts involved um big education hub and it's been just the most amazing project I've 
ever, ever, ever worked on, completely changed my life. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully helped other people stay active whilst they were pregnant. Oh, I'm sure it has. And like, it's, it's such a, such an incredibly powerful thing. And as you say, it empowers you to empower other women, which I, I, you know, which is what I'm all about as well at Passion Hour. Um, and also quite lucky that you recorded all of that footage before <laughs> lockdown happened. So you just had it, which is amazing. Um, you touched on the fact that you had quite a traumatic birth and I know that you had a cesarean section as did I which was something that I don't think either of us were perhaps expecting and given that this is you know we're recording this in April which is cesarean awareness month I would like to if you feel comfortable go into a bit of your birth story but before we touch on that I want to just wrap up the kind of exercise portion of the conversation and kind of ask you about kind of getting back into fitness and movement after you've had a baby. So Passion Mama community, myself included, obviously, are, are a very health conscious community. I think, I think we all know and understand the importance of movement. Um, and before I gave birth, I said to my husband, like, my fitness level is something that is a priority to me once I give birth. I knew it could change once the baby came, but it is a, it, it, it's a it's important for me to feel strong in my body to therefore feel strong in my mind and other parts and other areas of my life. Um, and a lot of people said to me, um, you know, it's hard to get back to that strength or weight loss or whatever it was post baby. And I always thought it was because I don't know, the hormones made it slightly harder to get the muscle back or whatever. And I'm, I'm on, on some level, maybe that is true, but I also found that it, the reason it's much harder is because one, you're fucking knackered. Two, you know, I could have every intention going to bed the night before saying, well, I really want to work out tomorrow. And actually I have a really bad night's sleep or I wake up and I just can't be bothered or the weather's really nice. And I'm like, actually, I want to sit in the park or like, I want to do something, you know. So the, the priority did definitely did drop. Or sometimes I was just like, I just want to hang out at home with my baby, especially also because I had Phoenix in November, so it was like dead of winter and I wasn't gonna kind of go outside um, or made it harder to go outside. So how can we, or for mums who are wanting to prioritize or wanting to regain some sort of strength, but actually are finding it hard to do that, how can we, how can they, what advice can you give them to, to help them take that first step or that next step or, or that little, that little maybe nudge, not push, but just nudge that they need to, to start getting back to it. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, um, when we're pregnant, first time mums, uh, you know, we have all these thoughts and dreams of how we'd like motherhood to look and, how quickly we want to feel like us before we were pregnant again and I think it's only once you have a child that you realize oh my gosh I was so naive because it's life-changing on a whole nother planet and so I think we set women up for failure and I find it so sad when there's this kind of snapback culture or I see another celebrity and the media are really like putting them on a pedestal because they're only two months post and look how amazing they look because we set women up for failure if we even suggest that we can ever get back to the fitness or the shape or the look or the weight that we were pre-pregnancy because 
you literally your life could not be more different after you've had a baby so there are so many reasons why women might might never get back to their pre-baby body and I think once we realize that actually it's quite freeing you know I, I work in fitness throughout lockdown I was teaching two three live classes a day because you know my studios were closed I, I didn't want to go under um, and and even you know my body still does not look the same as it did before Freya but then none of my life looks like it did before I had Freya so I think the first thing I would always stress is you know I'd kind of ditch that feeling that you're ever going to look the way you did before you don't have to look the way you did before um, you know it's just I just think it's very freeing to think okay I'm cool with that um, we that doesn't mean you can't be as strong uh, or as fit as you were before but I do think that it's difficult to look the way you did before so let's just get rid of that aesthetic goal um, but yeah getting back there it's difficult you're tired there is an element to play with hormones we think also if you're if you're breastfeeding you know there might be some you know, hormones hang around a bit longer but that's definitely not a reason to not breastfeed um and so yeah it's very difficult I think that um another thing that's very freeing again is thinking of that physical activity definition rather than it being exercise you know sometimes it might be that we think well, I'm going to go do a mum and baby Pilates class and then you know baby's had a bad night or they've got a cold or they're teething or they've had their jabs and you just can't go that doesn't mean that day is a complete write-off you know why not go and do it a, a half an hour buggy walk or put them in the sling and get yourself out so I think remembering that it's physical activity that's important not how many exercise classes you attend um, and that can be built up in small chunks um, so if it if it is just going out for a walk you know you could go out for a few walks that day or clean the house although who wants to do that um, so yeah it's difficult there isn't a magic answer there's no magic pill because our lives now revolve around somebody else and we can't be as selfish as we were before um, and so I just think um, you know being okay with that trying to build up in small chunks maybe doing uh, obviously I'm biased but doing a an, a fitness plan that you can do from home um so that you might be able to fit it in during tummy time or nap time um but just being okay with like nothing looks the same as it did before you were pregnant and, and no one expects your body to look the same as it did even those yeah. celebrities who look that way they like I have worked with those women and they sacrifice a huge amount but that's because their body is their income yeah wow. it's true it's so true I think a massive part of that is um sort of surrendering to to any sort of preconceived notions that you might have had and um yeah I think it's I think it's it's quite sad when I see like I'm watching Selling Sunset at the moment I don't know if you watch it but you know, I don't, I don't but I feel like does. I should you should it's quite quite <laughs> trashily excellent and you know these a couple of women have had babies really recently and it's just it does no it does just nothing for for the reality of of, of what mothers need or kind of go through I think in terms of them snapping back or you know sleep, babies sleeping through the night all this sort of crap that we just really don't need to hear as 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 new mums I don't think so yeah I um I totally agree with what you said um if and on that note yeah and on that note I feel I feel like honesty is is really important here I have seen firsthand what goes into that I haven't watched Selling Sunset but I, can I presume that these are women who have a relatively high disposable income 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I know firsthand what goes into that. And essentially, uh, for a woman who is relatively early postnatal, who uh, needs to, for whatever reason, get back to pre-baby body fast, um, it involves a huge amount of sacrifice and a huge amount of money. So you're talking kind of in-house chef, very restricted diets, uh, full-time nanny, uh, multiple workouts a day, um, potentially risking injury because it's too early um, and uh, someone who gets up with baby overnight which uh, usually impacts whether they can breastfeed or not so there's lots of sacrifices that person has made that actually maybe lots of us just wouldn't want to you know I, I, I would choose not to so if the sacrifice there um, means not having the body I had before um, I got pregnant then uh, you know so be it and also the, the, the sheer amount of funds that you need for something like that is not normal for the rest of us yeah, that's actually a really, really, really good point. Um, so thank you for, for raising that. Um, I wanted to now move on to kind of birth story, if you don't mind. I know that um, it can be quite triggering or uh, from your, from the post that you, that you shared on Instagram and um, when, after Freya was born, but I'd love to, if you feel comfortable to, uh, you know, hear, hear what you experienced. Yeah, and I've done a lot of kind of thinking about this over the last three years because, um, well, you know, obviously I work with pregnant women and there's this real balancing act to get between being honest with women, you know, they're not children, pregnant women are, are not babies, uh, you know, we should be able to speak really honestly and openly to them um, about what to expect and, and what can happen during labour whilst also not wanting to frighten anybody. So, you know, I've never been particularly open about uh, my birth story just because of the whole not wanting to worry anyone. But then equally, I know that the reason, some of the reasons why I felt the way I did about my birth is because I actually did go in slightly blind, even though I've worked with pregnant women for so long and heard a million birth stories. I think I just kind of thought, well, it won't happen to me. So. I think I just want to just start by just saying, you know, if, if, if it's triggering for you, then please do, do mute it. Um, and um, also just preempting as well that not every cesarean birth is traumatic. Actually, you know, lots of people have cesarean births that they describe as being like the best day of their life. I mean, it was still the best day of my life, 100%. Um, but being, you know, really healing and being really calm and positive and beautiful. So I just want to kind of preempt this. It's not vaginal's amazing cesarean shit. It's like, you know, there's a bit of a spectrum there. So, yeah, so I'd kind of um, been really healthy and active during pregnancy, like totally uncomplicated. Um, and uh, was really set on this like pedestal birth. I'm going to have it in a birth pool in the midwife led unit. And I'm going to be just like an absolute boss. Um, and then uh, towards the end of pregnancy, around maybe 38 weeks, I remember my husband used to come to my appointments and, you know, they always ask you any itchy hands or feet. And you're like, no. And then she asked that. And Stuart, my husband said, I've actually had really itchy armpits recently. And we were like, ha ha ha, it's not about you, Stuart. And I said, I've actually had really itchy armpits as well. But I presumed it was because we've been using like a new soap. And she, my midwife said, can I see? And I showed her my armpits were like really red raw and I'd been itching them overnight. And she said, 
It's usually hands and feet that are itchy if you've got what we think is um, obstetric cholestasis, but I'm just going to take your bloods anyway, just in case. So I took my bloods and then that night Stu and I got a call from the hospital just saying like, you don't need to panic, but you do need to come in first thing tomorrow morning. Um, it looks like your liver en enzymes are quite high. So um, we Googled it, you know, as you do and went in the next morning and they took my bloods again. They said they're still quite high, but they have come down because they were you know, really quite high. So they've dropped a lot, but they're still higher than we want them to be. So we're gonna have to keep getting you to come back and have your bloods taken. And it's, you're probably gonna need to be induced in a week's time and we won't let you go over 40 weeks. Um, so anyway, then they kept testing me and actually my bloods were fine after that. But because I'd had that period where they thought I had OC, they treat you like you definitely had it. So I pushed to be to be allowed to wait until 41 weeks to be induced. Um, and we tried everything like everyone else does, literally absolutely everything. But if baby's not ready, baby's not gonna come. And I knew she wasn't ready at all. She was, I was so big, but she was so happy in there and I wasn't anywhere near crown and uh, headed, engaged or anything. Um, but anyway, so I was induced and, um, you know, lots of inductions go perfectly well, but I just kind of knew deep down that she wasn't gonna come. So it was um it was uh induction uh having contractions all day no space on the labor ward so they moved me into another room um next morning my contractions had gone so they said like we're going to have to induce you again but there's a risk that you'll be hyperstimulated so they induced me again and then actually that kind of yeah then did go down hyperstimulated so you end up having kind of like double the number of contractions so you never really get a break quite intense quite painful but again, for that whole day of that happening, they still didn't have space on the labor ward. So I was still upstairs in like the induction area, uh, getting very tired. And then finally that night, they said, right, we can move you down to the labor ward. And then basically it just like, nothing was moving along, really, really painful contractions, just so many times. Eventually they said, look, you're not gonna be able to cope much longer having an epidural. And I was like, yep, definitely I'll take it. And then, um, yeah lots of just lots of vomiting lots of weeing myself just not just thinking my god this is really difficult and then um and then yeah Freya's heart rate went very low at one point and I was really not very well and so then it was like rushed you know within I it feels like minutes but it might have been within half an hour um I had a, cesare a cesarean with Freya but it was it with a cesarean it's not necessarily I think like the rushedness of it was quite traumatizing but actually for me it and it wasn't the pain or anything it's just that during the cesarean I couldn't stop being sick and obviously you can't move so for me the the thing that made it traumatizing was that it felt like I was drowning so that was actually it wasn't the cesarean really it was just the consequences of having all that medication and then I just remember shaking quite a lot and saying to the woman who was holding my hair, stroking my hair, lovely woman, why am I shaking so much? And she's like, don't worry, we'll give you something for it. And basically I developed sepsis. So then just, just quite, just quite poorly. So yeah, so it was more just, it was more just those small things that just afterwards I found it really difficult to not, to not think about. Um, and, you know, missing out on Stuart telling me Freya's gender because I was so out of it, you know, didn't have a clue whether we had a boy or a girl, what she was called. So I just feel slightly sad that I didn't get, you know, didn't, didn't get what I'd wanted. But I've worked through a lot of that, you know, in birth debriefs was in one way helpful but if anyone else is thinking of having it just remember that you're going to go back to the same hospital and actually in, in some ways that's not always ideal so the birth trauma association are um amazing if you you know if you want to go a different route and um 
and you know I think in hindsight my if I could speak to like previous Holly like old Holly I think I should have just read up more about cesareans because you just don't know what's going to happen on the day and maybe it wouldn't have been such a shock or I'd have asked for one a bit earlier on in that journey um or I wouldn't have been as disappointed if I'd known that there is a possibility even if you're planning a vaginal birth and everything's all fine that you might end up with a cesarean so have a think about what what choices you'd like you know what uh skin to skin delayed cord clamping things like that so that at least you feel like you got some of what you wanted um so yeah that's and that's massively led into how we talk to people in the bump plan you know we try and talk to women like they're our sisters or our friends like I'm going to be honest with you but also you will cope whatever happens you'll cope but just be aware that not everything is going to be rosy but you'll deal with it yeah I am um, well thank you so much for sharing that and um I'm sorry that you experienced that I um I completely understand where you're coming from in terms of the you know it is it is all of the small things the small detail that you don't that you don't get to do or that you missed out on that sort of builds and I I think because my my cesarean wasn't under emergency circumstances I can't even imagine how you know terrifying that must be but it was unplanned and I had a very short window to get my head around the fact that this was going to happen and it wasn't so much the actual cesarean I actually felt quite calm and empowered mm -hmm. throughout the procedure it was the bits before it and the and the postnatal care after at the hospital that I think I really struggled with PTSD afterwards you know it took a very very long time you know immediately after I announced Phoenix was born on Pashamama. I was like, my, my birth story will come soon, but I still haven't managed to write it down because it's so much, it's just a lot to it. And I did have a birth reflections call because I didn't want to go back into the hospital. I ended up having to go back into the hospital a few weeks later for Phoenix to have a hip scan. And, you know, my husband said, as we walked in, my husband was like, are you all right? And I said, yeah, why? He's like, your body, your body has just the body language has completely changed and I was like oh yeah I just don't feel really comfortable being in here so mm -hmm. it's it is amazing how how much it can affect us I think and you know as you say not wanting to scare other other women who are about to embark on their own birth journey but um, it is about making sure that everyone has as much information as they want, I guess, as they go into it, which is really, really important. Um, and yeah, I'm really sad I never got to experience labor. I still can't believe I never got to experience labor. You know, I just can't, I can't, I can't seem to kind of get over that um, in a really weird way. So um, yeah, I thank you for, for kind of sharing, sharing your story um, and your experience. Um, how did you find the recovery aspect of it mm. well just just really quickly before we go on to that so i just wanted to say it's um it often um you know like when it comes to things like birth trauma it's really front of mind at the moment just because like you said with it being cesarean awareness month this week on um the bump on instagram page we've had lots of lives and experts and last night we had a webinar with some amazing experts talking about birth trauma and things and i think it's really important to note that it's not like um it's not linear it's not like if you had a really smooth birth that you feel fine afterwards, but if you had, uh, you know, like an emergency cesarean, you feel horrific because actually, um, you know, there are, there are some people who have 
a relatively smooth vaginal birth who come away with birth trauma from that. And there are people who had an emergency cesarean who actually came away from it who were like, oh my gosh, that's still so amazing. You know, I feel fine afterwards. So um, it's really important that we don't compare as well. You know, like just because one person's cesarean is unplanned and one's emergency doesn't mean that anyone's birth is like worse or better or mm. because sometimes what we can find is that people talk themselves out of, the, of birth trauma. They'll be like, oh, but at least my baby was fine. Or like, oh, at least it wasn't an emergency. And so I should feel fine. Or other people might say that like, um, oh, but at least your baby's fine, you know, or at least this didn't happen. And actually, you know, um, it's just understanding what the signs of birth trauma are and also knowing that anybody could have birth trauma and it's not just the most extreme births that might have it. Um, and, and just being comfortable being able to admit that you think that you might have birth trauma just in case anyone's um out there that don't compare and be like oh because mine was less I shouldn't have birth trauma but uh if I, I don't know if I've articulated that very well at all yeah you, um, have, you have absolutely and I think that's really important and I think saying that you know I had a midwife afterwards said to me oh but you know at least you have a really healthy baby and I was like yeah but that's never in question we're not talking mm -hmm. about that we're talking about my experience about me. and yeah mm. yeah yeah <laughs> um, so yeah <laughs> mums are sometimes um, forgotten about I think as long as baby's fine but actually you know it happened to us so there, yeah. there you go um recovery wise yeah I think I was just quite shocked I mean I stayed in the same hospital for um about six days which is not a huge amount of time um but was on like antibiotic drip and then oral oral antibiotics as well. So I think I just felt in hindsight actually really shite. Um, but at the time, you know, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I was kind of like, is this what it feels like to just have had a baby? But in hindsight, I was like puffed up to the eyeballs and just felt horrific. So I think I was quite shocked. And also, you know, through going through my mind was, I'm literally never going to be able to teach Pilates again, because at the time you feel so like, oh my gosh, this is, this is very sore. Uh, yeah, I think you just say, I'll never feel normal again. I'll never, ever be able to teach Pilates again, which is actually such a silly thing to be even worried about at the beginning. But um, yeah, I just remember being very shocked. And so actually I uh, went the opposite way and I kind of like rested way too much, like hunched over all the time, didn't want to do anything, didn't want to move too much. Um, and in hindsight, you know, actually that just, that was not, helpful at all and you know cesarean scars are actually incredibly strong stitches are incredibly strong so whilst we don't want new mums to be going out there running marathons or lifting anything heavier than their babies you know you can move and uh you know scars need to move to um be functional you know and to, and to heal well they need kind of uh to, to be moved so I think actually I was shocked at how how anxious of movement I was but in hindsight I know that that I shouldn't have been and uh you know if I ever have a future cesarean I would definitely uh be a little bit more I'd be a bit less scared of movement and it's different yeah. for everyone you know everyone is going to feel different after a cesarean excuse me on the bump plan you know we've got one of our you know members who's just so positive and like super involved she joined the cesarean section of the bump line because it splits you based on how you gave birth um she joined the cesarean one like five days after her elective cesarean and she's just like nailing it she's been doing it for ages and and she 
really felt fantastic for getting moving again, you know, whereas it took me a, a long time to feel ready to move. But you do get back there, you know, and I'm probably as strong as I was before. Um, but at the time, you just can't ever imagine feeling normal again. Mm, yeah. And again, I don't know if that's how you felt. Say. Yeah. I mean, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how, how able I was to move. I've had, you know, so many, a lot of my friends had cesareans and they had told me that it was particularly difficult for in their, in those early days because their baby would cry and they found it actually quite a struggle to get up and go to baby. Um, but I actually didn't have that. I was able to kind of move and I don't know if I did it maybe I you know I was like sort of rolling out of bed you know I, I know all the things I know you need to sort of mm. roll to one side and pick yourself up but you know when you've got a screaming baby and you just need to get to them I was kind of like leaping yeah. out of bed but I it didn't um so moving around the house actually felt quite comfortable I knew that even it could kind of it could be uncomfortable to, to walk upstairs but I was actually quite quite fluid in my movement around the house I was actually very really shocked at how difficult I found it to walk a long distance, not even a long distance, it's like down the road to the post office. The first walk I took, I was shocked at how quickly I said to my husband, I really need to turn around and go back home. Mm. So that took a little bit longer than I had anticipated, mainly because I was so mobile at home. I thought, oh, actually I'll be fine. But within a few weeks, it was, it, it sort of, it just happens slowly, doesn't it? Everything just takes a bit of time. And I think when you're in it, it can feel like forever. But actually, mm -hmm. even now, five months postpartum, I'm like, it's only been five months. Yeah. <laughs> like you forget, you forget in the grand scheme of things how how little time I've given myself to get to this stage already. Because when you're in it, it can feel like forever. So I think patience um, is something that... I certainly need to remind myself constantly when it comes to anything postpartum, particularly exercise and that recovery piece. Um, my scar has been interesting, actually. Uh, I, I think it healed quite nicely. I did in the mummy MOT, which I highly recommend to absolutely mm -hmm. everyone, whatever type of birth you've had. Um, uh, but it's been up and down in terms of it's, its soreness and its lumpiness and the skin above it and below it I, I I found you know I just got back from a very very long holiday in Cape Town and where I didn't really move too much and I kind of drank a lot and ate a lot more than I probably would have done if I was at home and I don't know if food and alcohol or sugary foods sort of impacted the tissue around it but I definitely felt that um my scar was stinging slightly more than it now has been now I've been back and I'm back on my sort of regular nutrition diet or whatever eating in ways that you know not having a glass of wine at lunch every day um so I don't know if what I put into my body has can impact the the feeling of my scar but I, I've been I've been surprised at how long it's taken for it to to feel, feel normal kind of, normal yeah. yeah yeah and it feels fine now but I'm also you know it could it could in a week's time feel a bit sensitive again and I didn't really expect that to continue for as long as it has yeah things like scar massage are really important you know some people might be able to start as early as kind of six weeks but mm -hmm. um, for, for lots of us that might still feel 
very early. Um, uh, so scar massage can be really helpful, even kind of two, three, five, ten years later. You can uh, you can make a huge difference to the integrity of your cesarean scar um, by, by massaging it. I think for some people, though, actually. Um, Initially, just even being able to look at their scar or touch their scar can be quite tricky. And I think that for some people, scar massage can just help them. It can kind of take the sting away from it slightly, not not physically, but mentally, um, because you're, you're going down there for a different reason. You know, you're going down there for a job um, and it can help you get to know your scar and um, kind of just get more comfortable with it. So that can make a huge difference. Um, uh, but sometimes scars uh in the early few months can highlight kind of overdoing it as well so if anyone listening to this you know if you find that after you've done a workout your scar actually feels very very tender sometimes it's a clue that you might be overdoing it a little bit you might need to scale it back slightly um but sometimes it can be something as simple as you know wearing trousers that have aggravated it or post wax you know day to day it might change slightly but um hopefully in general it gets better and better over time yeah, the post, the first post wax um, <laughs> Ter terrifying. was uh, terrifying and very interesting. Um, um, Holly, thank you so much for your time today. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, um, but I appreciate you have a lot on with a three-year-old birthday. Um, yeah. If people want to find you, sign up to the bump plan, where can people go to do that? Yeah, so on the on Instagram, on the Instagram, oh my god, I'm so old. On Instagram, we're just the bump plan. So really simple. And if you search the bump plan uh, on the internet, obviously we'll we'll come up there. Um personally, my Instagram page is the Pilates PT. I seem to like the word the quite a lot. Um the Pilates PT. So on that page, it tends to be more about kind of general and um, functional fitness, whereas the bump plan is more specific to pre and postnatal um, and just general mum life. Um, um, and if you are London based and you want to come see us in person, we do have a studio in Parsons Green, which is lovely. Um, and that is uh, that you can find that on the Pilates PT website as well. But yeah, in general, I think most people will probably go to Instagram and in the link in our bio, there's all the all the locations for different ways to get hold of us. Great. And I will absolutely link to all of those in the show notes anyway. Um, thank, you. thank you so much, Holly. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. I really appreciate you kind of being so open and honest because that is the best way to be, I think, when we're talking about motherhood um, and sharing your experience. Um, and I know that a lot of our community will get a lot out of this. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. I hope it was helpful. And, you know, feel free to get in touch if you have any more specific questions. Um, there's also a seven day free trial for the pre and postnatal plans. So you can always come in, be nosy, have a look and cancel if it's not for you. Um, but otherwise, yes, yeah, sending everyone love, keep going, hang in there. Um, it's difficult, but it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that's been helpful. <laughs>